So today, you know, we, we've been in this sermon series, uh, the most stupendous sermon series of the year so far. Uh, and uh, we've been looking at some superlative stuff. You know, the, uh, we looked at uh, uh, the, the worst sinner and the wisest man. And now today we're going to look at the oldest person who ever lived, okay? And uh, if you don't know who that is, uh, the trophy right there already tells you. But let me take you to some scripture, okay, and show you from the book of Genesis. And we're going to introduce to you today Methuselah, chapter 5, verse 27. Word of God says Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. Well, it was about time. Would somebody say amen? You know, it was about time that he died. Are there any verses in the Bible that you read and you say, seriously? For real? You read something in the Bible and you're just like, was, was God really telling the truth here? Or is he, yeah, we got to go read verse 28, right? I mean, because surely verse 28 is telling us he didn't really live that long. It just seemed, or something. I mean, really, you know, sometimes there are things in scripture that I don't get. I'm a pastor and I've, I've pastored for over 20 years and uh, in ministry longer than that, but I've pastored for over 20 years. That, let me tell you, there are some things I do not understand, but I don't get all bent out of shape about the stuff I don't understand. Because God is so big and so huge and so amazing, I expect to not understand everything about him. Does that make sense to you? I mean, one of my big ones is the Trinity, you know, because, you know, I've said this before, I got a math mind, you know, three is three and one is one. And when the word of God says that there are three in that Godhead and those three are one and that one and one is actually three, I said, that, that, that doesn't compute in my mind. I, I, I can't get that. I, Try to explain it to me any way you want to. I've heard the, the cherry pie illustration. I've heard the apple illustration. I've heard the egg illustration. I've heard them all. But none of them explain to me how three is one and one is three. See, there are some things about God that are too amazing for me to get. But here's the problem is when you start dismissing things, when you start disbelieving and you start dismissing this, you know, like the first sermon about Paul being the worst uh, in this sermon series, being the worst sinner. If you, if you dismiss some of the things that Paul, you know, says I was this and I was bad and I was all that, if you start dismissing those things, okay, you're dismissing some information and some, some knowledge that you might need somewhere down the road. But, but when you get to, to things like this and you get to miraculous things, when you start dismissing the miraculous, then you begin to lose out on the amazing. Okay, so when you start, you know, I, I don't understand everything, but, but, but when I start to dismiss, the, when, when I start to uh, discard the, the miraculous, then, then I'm going to miss out on the amazing in my life. And for the last about three months now, I've been asking you, I, I think every Sunday at the end of the service, I ask how many of you need something amazing in your life? You need God to do amazing. And hands go up. Hands go up. You need amazing. But let me tell you something. If you start dismissing or discarding or, or throwing aside, casting aside the miraculous things of the Word of God, you're never going to get the amazing. Because the amazing is not in the stuff you can figure out. That's not amazing. The amazing is in the stuff you don't understand and that you sometimes have to just say, God, I don't understand that, but I believe and I trust you by, in faith. So, so, so don't throw that away. 960, that's hard for, for us to get, isn't it? But that's not the one that messes me up, okay? Th these are not the ones that mess me up. I mean, there are people out there today really challenging Noah, the flood, and all that kind of stuff. And, and you know, people challenge this, this kind of, <laughs> did men really live that long? Now, listen, let me explain to you what I mean. These are not the ones that mess me up. The fact that there is a God in the universe who is all-powerful and that he can choose to let men live hundreds of years instead of 80 or 90, 
like we're going to live probably, that the fact that he can choose to do that or that even today he could choose to give somebody some kind of a miracle that they would live this long, as long as Methuselah did, that doesn't mess me up at all. I mean, if he is the God who created the universe, come on. If he is the God that has the power to create our lives, if he is that God, then it doesn't blow me away that somebody could live 900-something years. Here's what blows me away. John 3, 16. That this God who is capable of creating the universe, this God who is able to, 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 to create it, and then he reigns over it, and he rules over it, and he chooses, he can choose right or left, or good or bad, up or down, and he chooses that. That John 3.16 says that kind of a God, this amazing God who is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is all of these things, that this God so loved the world, and I'm part of that world. That this God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for my sin so that I would never, not understand, this blows you away? Now let me tell you something. If you believe in Jesus Christ today, the word of God says you're never going to die. Oh, your body's going to die, but you will never die, but you will live for eternity. But even that doesn't blow me. What blows me away is the fact that that God loves me enough to give his only son. And with all the mistakes I've made and all the many times that I've, I've rebelled, I haven't just slipped up. Come on, let's call them what they are. Rebellion, sin, all of those times that I've done all of these things, and yet still there he stands. And we can sing this song and, and know how b- bad we've been in our past and know what all the things that we've done in the past and see all these things and yet we still stand here and say, I'm yours. I'm yours forever. That is what I don't understand. How a God like he is, can love someone like me. But that's exactly what we see in the book of, I mean, in the story of Methuselah. Methuselah, this man that lived 969 years. Let me tell you a little bit about his story, okay? Uh, let's go, go on, to our, uh, on to our next scripture. And this is in uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse uh, 21. You'll, you'll find everything about Methuselah pretty much right here at verse 21 through 27. So when Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. 65 years old. Now, that's one to stop and think about too, isn't it? Anybody, you know, getting close to that age to think about that? When he was 65 years old, Enoch had a son, and he named him Methuselah. Okay, here's what the Jewish scholars tell us, and this, this is going back to this thing that I don't get. I don't get how God could be so merciful and so loving. As Jewish scholars tell us that what, what Enoch did here is Enoch was prophesying, that God had, had spoken to him and said, Enoch, I am going to judge this earth because of its sin. Now, what God was talking about, probably Enoch didn't know it was going to be a flood, but what God was talking about was the great flood, the one, you know, Noah built the ark and all that. And so God speaks to Enoch, says, Enoch, I'm going to to judge the earth, but this judgment will not come as long as your son lives. And so when his son was born, Enoch named him Methuselah because the word, the, the word or the name Methuselah, it, it, there's actually three words that are stuck in there. It means die and sent, those three words together. So if you kind of put that together, what, what it means is when he dies, it shall be sent. And not until, and, and, and by their calendars and by, by their putting all the words, all the numbers together, here, here's, here's what they've deduced. And some of them even say it's down to the day. I, I don't know that it's down to the day, but they say the year that Methuselah died was the year that the flood came. Now see what, see what God is doing here. God is saying, I'm telling you about the flood. When, when Enoch was 65 years old and Methuselah was born, God was telling them about judgment that was coming. But he said, your son will not, your son will not see this. He will die before this happens. And so every year, 
that Methuselah lived was one more year of grace and mercy for the world to listen to, to listen to the prophecies that were given and the preaching that was done because Enoch, the book of Jude tells us Enoch was also a prophet. And we know that Noah, he preached before he went into the ark as he was preparing the ark, he preached for people. But, but it goes even back, it goes over for 969 years. You know, it, it, it's kind of like this. You, you know, like if you ever seen a movie, something like Dances with Wolves, or you've ever seen, you know, Native American movies on Native Americans, and their names are, are very descriptive, you know, it, it means something. I mean, some Indians saw this guy dancing with wolves, and that's what they, they called him, Dances with Wolves. You know, so every time they called his name, you know, it wasn't in English that they called it, but every time they called it, that's what they were, they were referring back to that time. So, you know, every time for 969 years, every time somebody called Methuselah's name, when they said, hey, Methuselah, they were saying, hey, when he dies, it shall be said, come here, I need to talk to you. It's like every time they called his name, they were prophesying of what was going to happen. So for 969 years, God's word was out there to, that, hey, judgment is coming. But every year that kept going, it's almost like, you know, uh, you know Methuselah gets up to 200 years old and God says, can't let him die yet. I, I got to give people just a little, bit more, a little bit more time to listen to the prophecy and receive. And he gets up to 300. God says, I can't let him die yet. He gets up to 400. God said, I can't let him die yet. Every single day. Every single year, God is trying to show us something about his mercy, and he ties it to this man's life, Methuselah, to show us that there is nothing longer in this world, the longest man who ever lived, lived 969 years, but there is nothing greater in this world than the mercy of God. That's, that is the, probably the thing that I, I have the, the hardest time getting a grip of with knowing who I am. Knowing what I've done. I know you don't want to say amen too loud here because you don't want everybody else to think you've done. But let the pastor just go ahead and say it for you. As rebellious as I've been, as the, the, the liberties that I've taken when I knew I was doing against his will, as bad as I've been that that God would still love, love me. I mean, we, we see more of his grace and mercy in the New Testament. But this is all the way back to Genesis chapter 5 that he wants us to know his mercies are, are, are unending, are forever. Here's a time, though, in the, in the New Testament. Simon Peter comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. And Peter says to Jesus, I've got a question for him. So, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times now. It, it, obviously, it, it seems like probably Simon Peter is somebody who had offended him. He forgave him. And they offended him again. Maybe they hurt him. Maybe they took advantage of him. Maybe they stole from him or something like that. And, and he, he had to forgive somebody a couple of times. And he said, okay, now how many times do I have to do this, Jesus? Seven times? Jesus said, no, not seven times but 70 times seven. Now, does that mean that you're supposed to go home and get a notebook and when somebody offends you, put them a tick down there and count up to 490 and 490 times, you gotta forgive them. But 491, let me tell you something, buddy, you are not ever forgiven again. That's not what it's saying, is it? No, we don't believe that. The number seven in God, the number seven means perfect or complete. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He is saying, no, here's how much forgiveness you've got to give. You've got to give completeness times perfection. That's what forgiveness is. Now, if, if we're going to forgive like that, you know, what, you know what he's telling us? He's telling us that's what his mercy is like. What he is showing us is he is showing how he is with us is that his mercy is complete and it is perfect. That we can have forgiveness. That, that is, and again, this is the part, not that Methuselah lived 969 years, but that God's forgiveness and mercy can be complete and perfect. But he only gives it to us 
if we're giving it away ourselves. Okay, now, now, now some of you really need to hear this. We only get that kind of complete, perfect forgiveness if we are giving it. The disciples came to Jesus one day because they had seen Jesus pray, and they had seen the results of his prayer. I mean, you know, Jesus was calling Lazarus. He was calling dead people out of their graves. Jesus was healing people and making them see that never seen a day in their life. They came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. And in the middle of that prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer. Probably most of you can recite it. In the middle of that prayer, in, in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus throws this in. He said, he's telling them you need to pray for your sins. And he says, pray to the Father, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. This has always stuck out in my mind about the Lord's Prayer. That he said, my forgiveness is contingent upon how I forgive. Don't forgive me because I did. Forgive me as I did. Oh, wow. That's scary, isn't it? Because let's be real here, okay? Can we be real? How do we forgive? Do we get forgive in completeness and perfection? Do you? Do you? No, our forgiveness is more like, you know, when, when somebody comes back to us, we forgave them, but when somebody comes back to us, they want to borrow another $5, we're going to remind them about, yeah, well, you just know whatever. I forgave you of that, but you remember that last $5 you never paid me back. I've forgiven you of it, but I, I, I just want you to remember that. So don't, you know. Now, if this word is true right here, where Jesus is saying, God, forgive us as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. If that's the way we approach forgiveness, then how does God approach when we come to him for, in prayer? Maybe not every time that we see the person we bring it up, but uh, we just keep bringing it up, right? And it's in our heart and, it's in our, and we just keep bringing it up. Maybe not every time you pray, but maybe, maybe every day for lunch when you ask the blessing or you say grace. Maybe as you're saying, oh, Father, I ask you about all, all of these, uh, these gifts that you've given us. Thank you for them and ask you to please bless them. And God just interrupts your thought. He says, but, but, but wait a minute, let me remind you of that thing you did five years ago. Does God do that to you? Do you want God to do that? I mean, if God were to treat us with forgiveness, as this is saying he does, then if we are only forgiving, but we're reminding those people that have done us wrong, if, then God's got to do the same for us. And you know what? I, I never find that, man. I want to stop right here, and I want to just preach you a little sermon on the prodigal son, just how the father reacted when the, when the son said, I, I need to be forgiven. Just forgive me of everything I've done. I need to be forgiven. And how the father reacted. God never brings up my past. Or, or here's something to be even worse, is maybe we don't tell that person that we're hurt, against, hurt at them, but we tell other people behind their back, right? You know, we're not going to go to them as the Word of God tells us to do. Now, Christians, I'm preaching to you right here. I'm not preaching to the world. I'm not preaching to people that don't know Jesus. I'm preaching to Christians right here. And the, and the Word of God says, if you've got something against somebody else, you go to them. You are never allowed to go to somebody else. When you do that, you are breaking one of God's commandments. And how do we expect to receive forgiveness when we won't give forgiveness? So instead of, instead of saying, yeah, yeah, well, you borrowed that fight, but you never paid it back, we, don't, we just hold it in, but we go tell somebody else. Say, so do you believe so-and-so just came and borrowed $5 from me, and he never paid the last $5 to me. He never paid that back to me. And we go tell somebody else. How would we like God to treat us that way? That not when you go to God in prayer, but when I go to God in prayer, God reminds me of your sin. God said, can I tell you something about one of, your, one of your church members? Can I tell you how bad they have been to me? And God, God said, they've just hurt me and hurt me and hurt me. And how would you like God to share that with me? I don't want God to share with you what I've done in my past. I want complete forgiveness. I want perfect forgiveness. But to have it, I got to give it. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a lesson. And the example is Methuselah. No one 
in the world ever lived as long as Methuselah. So, I should say, no one was as mature as Methuselah was, right? I mean, we mature, hopefully. I mean, some of us don't. Some of us are still, you know, 50-year-old teenagers or whatever. But, you know, supposedly we mature as we grow, right? So no one should be more mature than Methuselah. And let me tell you something that, that, that I've realized about myself. The older I get, the more I despise. You ready for what I'm, I'm going to tell you? The more I despise, and I'm not talking about bad traffic or that kind of thing, or, or even, even uh, you know, take out food and you get home and, you know, and, and you don't have those few little things that, you know, oh, wait, you know, or there's onions on what you ask not to have the onions on. Not those little things. But the older I get, the more I despise, and I'm not talking about the stuff like ketchup in the refrigerator, those are my pet peeves, you know, or whether the toilet paper, you know, the roll, if you put it where the paper comes out behind or over the top or whatever. Talk about serious stuff here now. I really want you ready for this one because I want you to hear me. Some of you need to hear this. The older I get, the more I despise drama. Y'all know what? Amen. Sick of, I am so sick of drama. You know what drama is? It's acting. Come on, that's what drama means, right? So when we say somebody is you know, just totally, they're just so drama. They're just so drama. Everything about their life. There's too much drama. What are we saying? There's too much acting. You know what drama does? Drama keeps you from facing life as it really is because, you know, these hurts that we've got and we make them bigger and we make them stronger and we make them, we just keep rehearsing them and, and we tell the people that we're mad at or we tell the people behind their back or maybe we just keep it inside and that's even worse because it just festers and festers and festers. And we just keep it, and, and, and with drama, and we've got all these things because with, with drama, we can wear a mask. We don't have to admit our own mistakes because we've always got somebody else to point at. Because of our drama, we don't have to face life. We don't have to face reality. We've got an act that we're playing about all of our hurts, about all of our pains, about all of our mistakes. You know, there's some people around, you know, around us, and, and we have some that, that, that attend 29-11. You know, that some people look at them and they, they use the term, uh, a term we, we try not to use anymore in our PC society, cripple, you know, you know, cripple. We try not to use that term anymore. Let me tell you what cripple really is. Cripple is not having a limit on your physical abilities. Cripple is when you allow other things to come in and, 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 and limit your emotional and spiritual abilities. It's when you allow those things. I mean, there's a couple of guys that attend our church that are in wheelchairs. I would never call them cripple. You want to call them cripple? Let me show you some videos of some of the stuff these guys are doing, okay? Well, one of them was playing basketball. How, how long has it been since some of you played basketball? Was playing basketball this Sunday. I saw one the other day, it was a couple of weeks ago. He was doing, he was doing push, push-ups like this with his wheelchair strapped onto him. Cripple is not having physical limitations. Cripple is allowing things outside of you to begin to destroy you and limit your ability to be, to, to be emotionally sound and to be spiritually sound. That's what cripple is. And if you continue to live in drama, you're a cripple. You are bound. You are hurting. You see, here's the thing that I think about. I think about Methuselah. Is I believe Methuselah got to an age. I don't know whether it was 25 or 250 or 700 or whatever, but I believe he probably, as me, got to an age that said, I am done with drama. I don't want drama in my life, and I, I really don't even want to be around people of drama. He had to get over that. He had to realize, wait a minute. 
You know, when he was 400 years old, he might have looked back and said, now, now what somebody did against me when I was 227 and a half years old, it's about time I got over that, right? Come on, somebody. It's about time. And listen, some of you are so bound, and I know because you tell me, and I hear you talk about it, and you say, you've got to get over that. Is that person that hurt you five years ago or some of you 20 years ago, guess what? They're going shopping this afternoon. They ain't thought about you in 10 years. You know, why in the world are you bound by that? You are the one that is in prison. And what Jesus offers is not just forgiveness of your sins, but he offers you the ability to forgive somebody else and truly set yourself free. You know, and and how long, how long are you going to carry your hurt? I think one of the things that I look at Methuselah, I think, man, he had plenty of people, I'm sure, in 969 years, he had plenty of people to blame all of his failures on. But if he was going to make anything of his life, he had to forget everybody else and all the situations and all the hurts and all the pains and all the struggles and all the people who talked about him behind his back, the friends that maybe turned their back on, friends that did things, oh, they were supposed to be my friend. He had to get over that and say, that doesn't matter anymore because I've got somewhere I'm going. I'm not concerned about where I've been. Thank God God isn't either. He's concerned about where I'm going. And you need to be able to release your hurt. And can I tell you again? God offers that. He offers that kind of healing, not just forgiveness of your sins, but to bestow the mercy upon you that you can forgive those who have hurt you most in life. He allows that. He he, he gives that. So let me let me let me hurry. I'm and I'm getting this is like the last last bit of the message. I think two more slides left. Let's look at let's look at. uh, Methuselah's family. If you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 1, uh, the first four verses, and then Luke chapter 3, verse 36, 37, 38, you'll see the genealogy of uh, Methuselah. I started to give you those scriptures, but I thought, you know, it's genealogies. I can, I can tell you about it more than, in, in just a few moments here. And so I'm going I'm to tell you a little bit. I'm not going to mention everybody in his lineage, but, but Methuselah was the seventh after Adam, that generation. Okay, so if you were to give it, there would actually be seven names before. And I'm not going to give you all those because some, they don't matter. I mean, they just didn't do anything in this world. So let's, let's talk about the notable ones. And uh, Adam was the first man. Okay, that, that, that was like his great, great, great count up, however many seven was, granddad. Adam, Adam was the first man. And maybe he didn't do a whole lot, but he did. I mean, one of the things you think, I, I think about is how he named all the animals. He named all the animals. Now, again, here's one of those places. Okay, did God bring every single animal, I mean, every little insect and everything and put it on his knee and, and the word of God says, whatever Adam called it, God said, that's going to be its name. Put you in charge. Did he bring it? I don't know if he brought every single one. You know, I, you know, that means he had to bring up all those little creatures out of the very bottom of the sea or whatever, you know. So maybe say all the animals that came to, then he named them and, and God said, that's, that's fine. Whatever you call them, he named them. I mean, that was, that was a pretty monumental task. You know, and I like, I like some of the names of, you know, and I know we're English now, you know, they speak in English, so they're different, but I like some of the names of the animals, some of the things we call them. It's pretty cool what some of them are named. I won't go into that because I've got some on my mind, but I won't go into those. But this is who he was. Now, now let me t- say this. Sunday's page, it's got all these scripture references. If you want to see that, it's got them. So, go, you know, if you want to find the scripture references, go to the Sunday's page this afternoon and you can find those. Uh, then his son, one of Adam's son was Abel. You know what I know about it? I know this about Abel. He pleased God. We don't know much else about Abel except that he was a, a shepherd and he raised lambs and he brought lambs to sacrifice to God. And he did it in such a way. It was not just the fact that it was a lamb, but he did it with the right heart that he pleased God. That's an amazing thing. 
When I look at my own life and realize how many times I did not please God, then when I look at somebody, I look at somebody like Abel and the Word of God and it shows me how he pleased God, I said, that's a man. That's a man worth emulating. That's a man worth having an example. And now we skip on down a few generations, we get to Enoch, right? Enoch, uh, Enoch was his dad. And here's what the Word of God says about Enoch. Is Enoch so pleased God, he walked with God so closely that one day he just wasn't. God took him. He didn't die. That's what the Bible means here. He didn't die. God just took him. You know, and I've been, I've been in some, in some uh, you know, uh, deathbed rooms with people who were dying. And, you know, you could, just, you could just sense that and pray that God just take them. Don't let them suffer. God just take them. And you almost see that. And this, is even, this was even more miraculous than that. And, you know, uh, Deva, you know, she's got a, a list. I don't think she's written it down anywhere, but uh, I, I, I try to give her a little privacy. I'm not looking for the list, but it's in her mind. She's got a list of all these ways she doesn't want to die. She doesn't want to die in an airplane crash. She doesn't want to die in a fire. She doesn't want to drown and die. And she's got a whole bunch more, you know, pretty much anytime we see something new on TV, you know, that's, that's another one of them. I guess maybe the worst, worst would be for her to be in an airplane that caught on fire and crashed into the ocean. That would be probably the worst way to die whatsoever, right? Okay, now I've got to wait for you to come back. <laughs> because I want you to hear this. If there is any way to die, it would be this way. To be walking so close to God that from here boom, he just takes you. And that you don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through all the junk that a lot of people have to go through in their, in, in their death experiences. That was Enoch. And, uh, and also he prophesied, and you don't see that there, but it's in the, on the Sunday's page. If you want to see, he was actually a prophet. And, and you've got the scripture reference on the Sunday's page if you go there. And then, and then lastly, let me tell you about Methuselah's grandson. His name was Noah. And I know what you know about Noah is Noah built an ark of what we forget about Noah, and it is the most amazing part of who Noah was, is the Word of God says that he was blameless among his people, among his time. Now, now, now think about this. He got a reference. Noah has a reference in the Bible, and his, but his reference is not from people and from a foreign country. His reference is not from, you know, a, a mayor or a governor who just wants to get reelected. His reference is from the people he lived around. And, and the, you know, the, the, the one reference you can have that means more than anything else, if you go for a job interview or anything, is the people you live around. What kind of neighbor is he? If, if he offers to sell you something out of his backyard, how, how can you trust him? The best reference you get, well, let me tell you, Noah's reference among the people that he lived around was that he was blameless. That's pretty awesome. Now, these are the people that Methuselah, that, that's his lineage, is, is these, these four guys most notably. There were some others, but we don't know anything really about the others. I mean, Lamech was, was, was his, his uh, son, but I mean, we, we, we don't know anything about him. Okay, so these are the notable ones. These are the ones. So, but now let's look at Methuselah. Okay, this, this is my last point right here. And this, um, I got to tell you, I, I've, I've shared some things about Methuselah before in a sermon, but I don't, I don't think I've ever preached a whole sermon on Methuselah. And, and I think it kind of threw Dave off this week when she saw my notes. And she said, Methuselah, the oldest man? What are you going to preach on about the oldest man? It's like, what is there to preach about, about Methuselah? Let me show you, okay? Other than 1 Corinthians 
that was on that last one, and you can find it on the Sunday's page if you want to. And Luke, that just give his lineage. I mean, that's all that's there. Here are the verses that tell us about Methuselah, okay? Uh, chapter 5, verse 21, 25, 27. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. We've already read that one, right? Okay, but just remind you. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. We don't really know anything about Lamech, okay, but there he is. And then down verse 27, Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. We already read that one, but I wanted to give that to you again. Okay, now give me the next scriptures. What's the next ones? Where's the, ne- uh, the rest of them on Methuselah? Oh, wait a minute. There aren't any. There aren't any. This is it. This is it. Now, and I, and I was saying, I, I've, I've, I've preached, I've shared things, but I've never preached a whole sermon because there's nothing there. There's nothing to preach about. And it's finally hit me this week, even though, like I said, I've shared this in sermons. I've shared things about Methuselah in sermons before, but I've never preached a whole sermon on Methuselah. And this is what hit me. I had had pretty much most of this sermon put together, and, you know, it was really kind of short. Y'all might have wished God hadn't given me this last point. We'd already be out by now, but here's this last point, okay? Early this week, is God, I believe God just spoke this to me, and he said, look at his life. Said the man who lived longer than anybody ever lived never did anything worthy of being noted in the Bible. I do not want to end this life one day and nobody have anything to say about what I did for others and for God. But the man. The man that was the symbol of mercy, remember, because God said, I will not send it until he dies. The man that was symbol of mercy gives us no example of mercy. I mean, we don't even know if if Methuselah actually took advantage of the mercy. We don't know what kind of life he lived. I mean, it's almost like this is all we see. He probably didn't live a very good life. I mean, I don't know that he lived for God. I mean, it said about his dad that he walked with God. It said about, you know, his great-great-great-granddad that he pleased God. It said about his, his grandson that he was blameless among the people. And it says none of those things about Methuselah. He was the symbol of God's mercy, but I don't even know if he partook of God's mercy himself. How sad. How sad to, uh, it would be tantamount to some, some of you coming to church every single Sunday, paying your tithes, getting involved in, in, in Royal Rangers or some other small group, pouring yourselves into it, and yet, and yet never, never really knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's what this would be like. I don't want to die. And somebody stand over my casket one day and say, well, I really don't know what to tell you all about Rick. He, he was pretty much like Methuselah. He lived, and he died. And that's all we can say. I mean, everything we know about Methuselah could basically be put on his headstone down at the cemetery. He was born, he lived 969 years, and then he died. That's it. I don't, I don't want to just be a symbol. You understand? Listen, I don't want to just be a symbol, stand up here before you on Sunday and be a symbol to you of, of, of look at what, let me tell you what God can do and just be the symbol of, as you, you, you see me kind of clean up a little bit on, on Sundays, you know, and whatever, and you, there, you know, there's a symbol, you know, he's got a pretty good, I don't want to be a symbol to you. Example, okay. Example's great. I want to be an example to you. I want you to see someone who has been rebellious, someone who has fallen on his face before God, someone who has taken advantage of God's mercy many more times 
than anyone should have, and yet still God's mercy is shed on me and his blood has washed away my sin and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and he has promised me the eternity to be with him and to never die and not have to suffer eternal punishment. Yes, I want to be that example, but I don't want to just be the symbol. You know, here's kind of the thing is, Methuselah was just a stat. I mean, he could be in Guinness World Records, the oldest man who ever lived, but he was just a stat. Just the oldest man. And, I, you know, I think a lot of people, that's, that's how their Christianity is gauged as well. They're just a stat. They're just one number on Sunday morning. Because a lot of people, they show up on Sunday morning when they're done, it's almost like, okay, I got that done. Now I can go live my life the rest of the week. They almost treat Sunday morning like it is the end. Sunday morning's not the end. I, I, I thank God that it's, it's, it's set up this way, that this is the beginning of the week. And the first thing we do at the beginning is we come together on a Sunday morning. Why? Because he called us to come together. He called us to be together. And so, and so when we're finished with this today, now our week begins. And I'm supercharged. I'm thinking about the mercy that he has already given me and the mercy he's going to have laid out before me this week. I don't plan to mess up, but if I mess up, I know that the, that day his word says that his mercies are new again that morning as well. And I know he's going to give me the power and the strength. And I know I've got all this. So this, this is the beginning. It's not the end. It's not the end. It's not something for you to check off and say, got it done. Now, it also stands to reason that if this is the beginning and this is the thing that he's called us to do every single week, you've got different, you've got different people you minister to every week. But the one thing he calls us to every week is this right here. This joint congregation together, corporate worship. And there's reason for it. It's not the end. This is the beginning. Don't be, I don't want to be a stat. I don't, I don't want somebody to be checking off a roll here at 2911. Yep, Rick Hand. You know, he had missed a Sunday in six months. I don't want to be a stat. I hope you don't want to either. I want to ask you if you'll do something with me. Would you stand and come to the front? If you're a first-time attender, let me just explain. We, we like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. We invite you to join us if you want to come. That's all we're going to do is just got a, one last little thought. We'll have a prayer. We'll sing a final song. We really like this last, last few moments together and really together. So we invite you to join us. So here we stand. Here we stand with our needs, our faults, our failures, our mistakes, our rebellions, our sins. Come on, let's call them what they are. Not slip-ups, not white lies, they're sins. We blew it, we messed up, we need God. I'd hate to think that Jesus died for some slip-ups. Amen, come on. He died for more than slip-ups. He died for your gross sins. Your in-your-face rebellions, your refusals to follow God's direction. That's what he died for. So here we stand. Did you, did you hear me praying a little while ago and I, I thank God for something? Two men in our church got new jobs, good jobs this week. Somebody say, praise God. You would be if it was you or your husband or your dad or you, know, you would be. Thank God. Can I tell you something? God's no respecter of person. He's ready for you to get one too if you need one. So whatever it is today that you need, he's here. And I say that because the prayer team is here. And this, 
This, some of you may think, well, this really isn't one I want to go pray with a prayer team member for. If you need something like a new job, you're sick in body, you need healing, you need to go find somebody that's got a little lanyard around their neck that says prayer. Right now, if you want to wait till we all bow our heads and close our eyes and you just go walk around, wander around, you'll see them. They're, they're like scattered all around you. And go ask one of them to take you by the hand and agree with you in prayer. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to, be, I'm going to get a raise because I've got to have a raise. I need a raise. got to have a raise right now. You, you need to do that, okay? And regardless of what I preach on on a Sunday, regardless of uh, what the closing prayer time is all about, whenever you have a need, that's what that prayer team is there for, regardless of what I preached about. You bring your need all the time. To, but three things real quick. Three things real quick. And, and Jamie's going to lead us in a final song as we, as we begin praying. If you need forgiveness, he's here and he's listening. And you just need to call on his name. Jesus, I've messed up a lot in my life. I just want your forgiveness. That forgiveness, that mercy, that grace that the pastor talked about that is complete and that is perfect. I, I, I need that. You just call on him. Just say, I want you to forgive me. I want you to be my Lord and be my Savior. That's all it takes. And, and we also, some of us, many of us, need him to bestow upon us that mercy so that we can also be forgivers. Because our forgiveness, as we preach, cannot be complete unless we also are for completely forgiving others. And if that's you this morning, then you need to pray those and just call on him. Say, God, I, I, I can't, I've tried to forgive people, God, but I, I just can't get over it. I can forgive a little bit, but I can't forget. And just ask God to help you with that. And this morning, I'm going to believe that for those of you that are struggling with forgiveness, that there is going to be just an outpouring of God's mercy and grace on this place right now. Why? Because you need to be healed. You need to quit carrying that hurt and that pain. You need to be healed. And I'm going to pray that God bestows that on you today so you can get rid of it. And the third thing, the third point about this message today was, I want to do something with my life. I don't want to be an anecdote on history. I don't want to be a stat. I don't want to be a symbol. I want God to do amazing things through my I want amazing in my life, and the only way amazing comes to my life if I am also allowing God to do amazing through my life. Because when you start allowing God to do amazing through your life for other people around you, then all of a sudden amazing starts happening in your life as well. But as long as you're not wanting the amazing, it's like you're just all always talking about you. God, show me how I can be amazing to somebody else. Be amazing through me to God. When you start doing that, as long as you're holding back from that, it will never happen. But when you start doing that, then God starts doing amazing in your life as well as through your life. But it's got to be both. Just like forgiveness, you got to give it to receive it. Amazing, you got to be it to receive it. Would you bow with me right now? And whatever.